box. Record collections and recollections. Out of the box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Mia Hull is my name. Out of the box is the place. This show is live to air midday through to 1pm on FBI Radio and of course available to stream on the podcast at your convenience. I sit down with one person each week and roll through the records from their life and the stories behind them. If you hear any ambient bird noises in today's episode, it's because I am out of the studio and joining you remotely from Dowral country. My guest is currently sitting in the FBI radio studio on Gadigal land. I'd like to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal and Dowral elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this broadcast is coming to you from stolen Aboriginal land. Today, I'm joined by writer, designer, actor and comedian Lizzie Hu. We're super lucky to have her on the show today because she's right in the thick of a meteoric rise to fame, which we'll talk about later in the show. You can catch Lizzie's, Lizzie's shocked by that. <laughs> you can catch Lizzie's stand-up show, Who Dis, tomorrow through until Sunday at the Factory Theatre. But if you can't wait to hear her stories until then, she joins me right now to talk about all the special moments in her life and the songs that have soundtracked them. Thanks for joining me on Out of the Box today, Lizzie. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> What's your earliest memory of telling a funny joke? Oh, this is quite clear, to be honest, because my mum, she used to make us say knock-knock jokes at the table if we were being like too loud or something like that. And I remember this joke that my family still tells me about um and I was just like oh knock knock and I was like who's there and I'm like smoke and they're like who smoke who and I'm like smoke eat and that was my first it's so weird (laughs) I didn't even know what I was I would have been like four or something and I don't know what I was talking about and my parents and my fam, my brothers and even my niece and nephews are just like hey smoke eat like it's just become like (laughs) a roast for me at the moment. So that was my first joke I ever said. <laughs> no, I love I love when little kids make knock-knock jokes like that. I remember my little brother mm. telling one that was like, knock-knock, who's there? A walking house? Gotcha. Gotcha good. I'm hoping to see um, the smoke eat joke in your upcoming routine. <laughs> Where were you in life when you started to think about comedy as something that you could do for a living? Yeah, see, that's it. Like when I was young, um, probably on the back of my smoky joke, I I wanted to be a comedian. Like I was sort of um, obsessed with, there was this show early, like in the 90s called The Comedy Company. Um on Aussie TV, it was an Aussie sketch show, and I was obsessed with that. Like I used, to, I, I remember getting the show bag at uh, the Brisbane Echo show. It's like our Easter show sort of thing. And I remember that. I mean, remember being like quite obsessed with comedy. But it wasn't until I started comedy really late in my thirties. So it wasn't until my thirties that I was like, oh, I think I might give this a go, because I'd had writing roles I'd been like in editorial and stuff like that so I'd been always been writing um and it it was weird because a lot of my editorial ended up being humorous style uh and I thought oh let's give this stand up a go and see what happens do a lot of comedians start 
later in life? No, I think a lot of them start early. There are people that have started later. I can think of um, uh, like Luke Heggie. He's he's awesome. He didn't start till his 30s. Chris Ryan, she's a Canberra comedian. She started late. Steph Broadbridge, we're kind of in the same boat. Um, but then I think a lot of people start like straight out of school even or when they're at university. I guess if they're at university and they're involved in like – I don't know, theatre and stuff like that, they probably get exposed to comedy a lot earlier. But there's even like, you know, like raw comedy, there's like a class clowns version of that that lots of people have started at. So I'm a bit jealous, but at the same time I'm like, oh, go out and live your life. (laughs) Well, well, that's it too. And do you think in being a late bloomer you've got kind of more Mm. stories to talk about in in your sense? Probably. Yeah, I'd say so. Probably and like maybe a bit more relatable because I've worked in an office, I've worked in like corporate environments and stuff like that. Like there's just different stuff that you can tap into. So when we go to a Lizzie Who show, we're going to hear corporate stories and office (laughs) stories? What kind of stories would someone expect to hear in a Lizzie Who set? Uh, No, there are some, like, I do have some office jokes, themed jokes in my show this year. But yeah, I think previously I had talked about uh, a lot about my family and my upbringing, um, sort of like, you know, my my heritage and that sort of thing. In this show, I probably talk more about, I do talk about my childhood a bit, but it's about me more than my mum and dad and like how they met and stuff like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's more about me and I'm quite nostalgic in this show actually. Like I sort of, the um, I'm sort of di- discovering uh, like the good old, I'm talking about the good old days and like I'm dangerously close to saying that term, like the good old days. Um, but uh, it's like, sort of just like going through, it's like, were they actually better? Like, were the good old days actually good sort of thing? So in that, I get quite nostalgic for my childhood. Do you think comedy is always just a vehicle for personal storytelling? Or do you think it's ever a space where, you know, you can get points of view across or try and change an audience's perspective on something? I think I personally think that comedy can change the way people think because if you're hearing someone's perspective for the first time, for example, and it is a comedian or it is a funny show and you've seen a scene play out that you've never sort of looked at in a different way, I'm like, how can that not change how you think about something? The last 12 months have been pretty huge for you, Lizzie. You've performed at the Opera House three times, which is an amazing feat for anyone, but especially in the circumstances under which you've done that. Can you tell me about that? That's amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. Like, it was a pretty weird year last year. Like, we were shut down for, what, three months or something? Well, I didn't do comedy for three months. Um, But one of the first gigs I did back was at the Opera House, 
in the beautiful Joan Sutherland Theatre, which is the theatre where they do all the ballet. And so they never have comedy in there. So it's just like this beautiful theatre. And I felt like uh, the scum of the arts world <laughs> going into this theatre. I mean, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ballet dancers, but we're going to stink it up with some dick jokes. <laughs> like, it was it was really cool, but the first time I performed there, there was nobody in the audience. So it was like a um, they filmed it and then put it online, uh, and that was quite weird. Uh, <laughs> Did they try and make it look like there's an audience there? Well, there were about five people so in the front row, which you couldn't I couldn't really see because they were sort of dipped down below, um, you know, like tech crew and some friends. <laughs> But that was it. It was so strange. And no, they didn't try and, like, when I walked in, like, the first shot of me saying hello is to from behind. It's You can see like, just, like, an empty um, theatre. It was quite weird, but also quite cool. I want to pass the mic over to Britney Spears now. Uh. <laughs> Tell me about the first song you've chosen. Oh, this is Work Bitch, and... I, I'm, a, I'm a big – I like Britney, um, always been a big fan of Britney, and I always felt a bit sorry for her, I think. Um, but this is a song that I play when I'm feeling a bit like, oh, I've got work to do or I've got to, like, do some writing or something like that, and I put this on and it's just so funny. It just gets me in the mode. I'm like, yeah, I do. I do have to work. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I do have to work, even if it's to an empty stadium. Yeah. Um, it's still work, and we'll jump into that one right now on FBI Radio 94.5. It's Britney Spears and Work Bitch, and this song does come with a language warning. You want a hot body? You want a good body? You want a Maserati? You better work, bitch. You want a Lamborghini? Sit in martinis? Look hot in a bikini? You better work, bitch. You want to live fancy? Live in a big mansion? Party and friends? You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. That was Britney Spears and Work Bitch on FBI Radio 94.5. Right now on Out of the Box, I'm joined by comedian Lizzie Hu. Lizzie, your early days in stand-up coincided with the success of another comedian's Netflix special. I'm talking about the wonderful Ali Wong. How did that impact you and your comedy? Yeah, it was huge. I remember getting messages from friends saying, like, you need to watch this comedy on Netflix and that was what like 2016 I think that came out and I was like oh wow okay and then I watched it and I was like oh my god I've never seen comedy so relatable to me before it was so amazing and I what about it made it relatable to you oh just like the just the Asian references um we're a similar age so a lot of my friends had been pregnant or were pregnant you know just that sort of like yeah I I don't know just I think the life her age and the Asian references, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've never seen this in a comedian before. Like, I think before Ali Wong, the only other sort of mainstream Asian female comic was Margaret 
or is Margaret Cho. Like she was the original. And then, yeah, Ali. So it was like, yeah, it was crazy. And then, yeah, from that it was like, oh, wow, okay, you can joke about this sort of stuff. Like it was really refreshing to see. Were there any negative side effects to having your career kind of parallel someone else's? Well, lots of people think that I look like her, uh, which is, I get that. I really, because <laughs> sometimes I see pictures of her and I'm like, oh, my God, that's just like me. And anything I put up online, like the first comment is, she looks like Ali Wong. <laughs> and then there's like 400 likes. <laughs> I mean, it's a compliment. It's like, she's, she's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a lot shorter than me. Uh, I will say that. She is like, she's like tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, yeah, I'm way taller than her. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like she's just, yeah, she's amazing. I, I, I kind of like that she did come out and the industry saw like someone like that making like being becoming so popular and that was probably like oh hang on a minute like there's different markets out there there's different audiences we can tap into which is crazy to me because it's like didn't you realize that before like (laughs) yeah the the industry starts to think about race a little bit more when they're booking or race when gender even like it's like oh hang on a minute women want to see other women talking about women's shit you know (laughs) like who knew? <laughs> it seems wild. Yeah. I, I don't suppose the release of Ali Wong's comedy special was the first time you started to think about race? Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Um, yeah, I don't know. Race is a funny one. It's definitely something I've explored in my comedy. And I think when I first started out, um, yeah, I, I was doing that thing where you like look at your family you look at and for me that was like you know my dad being um Malaysian my mum being Australian and like how how kind of funny that was and the funny things I could um get from that and it was kind of cathartic the way that you could make jokes about some of the stuff that sort of impacted you when you were growing up and I just yeah the my first solo show that I did in 2019 was largely about you know, my family and my upbringing and heritage and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about your family mm. in a few mm. minutes time, but first I want to ask you a question that I know that no one has ever asked you before in your life, Lizzie. <laughs> and that's, where are you from? <laughs> uh, so I was born in Brisbane and my dad, he's uh, Chinese Malaysian and my mum is uh, white Aussie from Toowoomba actually in Queensland and they met they have a the, like the cutest meeting story they met in, when mum was backpacking like in the 70s you know pretty wild back then to go to south like a little catholic girl from Toowoomba to go to southeast asia and like i'm sure she was quite wild i don't know like yeah, but she, yeah, like it's such a cute story. And then they met there and they um, lived there for a while and had my brother there and then moved back to Australia. So she um, was meant to, yeah, she went there to travel and then, which is pretty cool in itself, you know, and she talks about Southeast Asia like 
you know, when I say oh, I've been to Phuket, she's like, well, I've been to Phuket, you know, <laughs> when it when there was no one there, and it was just, you know, forest and jungle. Um, and then I think she was meant to go to England after that, but she, yeah, she got stopped in her tracks. She got stopped in her tracks. She met the love of her life, and yeah, here we have the wonderful Lizzie Who and all the stories <laughs> that have come from that. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you growing up in Brisbane? Um, I had a pretty idyllic childhood, really. Like, I have two older brothers, um, and one is quite older than me, so he left home when I was quite young. Um, And then my middle brother, he's only two years older than me. And we, like, we did everything together. I just remember, like, doing kid stuff, you know, like we went to the park every day, we'd take our dog to the park. We were always, like, we were real sporty kids and we were always doing some sort of, like, game or, like, competition or something like that. Yeah, we were always often outside. And what was your school like? Um, it was fine. It was a tiny school up the road. Like I'd walk to school. Everyone in my area, we all went to the same school. Like it was kind of a bit of a village vibe, but, um, yeah, it was really, it was fine. It was like in my class, like I had four, it was in my friendship group of four people. (laughs) Like, I think my class was pretty tiny. It was probably like 20 people. But my friendship group of four people, I had a a friend who she was half Japanese. The other girl was half Austrian and the other one was half, like, Italian. So we always, like, said, like, oh, you've got to be something to be in our group, you know. Um, but I mean, my friend who's half Japanese, she always brought the best food for lunch. Like I would rock up with my Vegemite sandwich and apple and she would rock up with like a full on bento box with sushi and otogiris and seaweed and everything. And we'd all be like, oh, can you bring extra tomorrow? Like she'd always bring us food. Oh, yeah. And... Between school, you went to a few music festivals when you were young. Oh, yeah. I like I, I started, I went to music festivals in high school and I don't know why mum let me go because, and I'd say to her like, oh, I just want to go to a big day out or something like that. And she'd be like, okay. And like, <laughs> it's a music festival. <laughs> and like, because she was a bit, like she let me do a lot of things, but she was kind of like if I wanted to go to someone's party, like she kind of wanted – she'd dig more if I wanted to go to someone's party than than if I wanted to go like a, to the big day out at the Gold Coast. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So, yeah, I went to heaps of music festivals when I was in high school. You're such the youngest child. I know. Like, yeah, like I really just – Such younger kid privilege. Cruised <laughs> on in. I know. Yeah. Well, you want to go to big day out? Yeah, Here's some money. Go yeah. crazy. I think the thing is because my, my brother would often go as well because that, so that was the thing. It's like, oh, well, the brother, if if your brother's there, then that's okay. Not that, like, we hung out or anything. Um, but, yeah, it was probably a lot of younger child, youngest child privilege going on. Well, let's play a track for young Lizzie now. You've chosen a Grinspoon song for today. Tell me about it. Uh, this is... I you, I remember I had this Guide to Better Living t-shirt 
that had, you know, the sort of logo on the front and it had purple sort of cap sleeves and a purple front. And um, I got it from the Brisbane Maya Centre. There used to be a music T-shirt shop upstairs and I used to spend all my money at this music t-shirt shop and I remember getting this t-shirt I wish I still had it I wish I'd kept it um but I just loved this album and I went to see them when they played at the end more for the 20 year anniversary of this album and it was so good and I'm going to see them at the spring-loaded thing at Randwick so I'm pretty excited well let's jump into it right now if you can't wait until spring loaded (laughs) it's uh, it's post inebriated anxiety by Grinspoon on FBI radio 94.5 you're listening to out of the box with me Mia Hull and comedian Lizzie who You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. Right now on the show, I'm chatting to comedian Lizzie Hu. Lizzie, we were talking about your parents before and how they met. I understand your dad's quite a character. He comes up in your sets all the time. Tell me about your dad. He's really funny. He'd be, like, I cannot not use him in comedy like he's just so funny in this show in my last show he featured quite a bit and he loved it like he was just all about he's all about being in the comedy bits he's actually told me he's like don't talk about me too much because I'll become more famous than you (laughs) (laughs) I'm like okay but he's just a really funny guy and he's he's quite like a natural entertainer like he's always joking and whatever but he's um he actually he's a pretty big deal on the brisbane ukulele circuit what yeah (laughs) he opened mics more than i do and i think ukulele is one of those things like you know you put your you put your name down and then but nobody wants to go first so he like will just go first and then he'll go whenever there's a spot but yeah he does a lot of ukulele that's so funny and yeah along with being a ukulele star he was a bit of an entrepreneur and had you guys doing jobs when you were quite young as well oh yeah tell me about some of your hustles when you were little <laughs> I was such a I was a real hustler like I don't know what it was like whether it was like mum and dad being like you gotta get your own pocket money or something like that but we were always doing jobs <laughs> I just like when you ask about my childhood, I'm like, I just remember doing a lot of jobs. <laughs> like, I used to like work. My neighbor used to give us heaps of jobs. Like I would iron his shirts for money, of course. Um, I'd wash and vacuum his car. Like my brother would mow his lawn. Um, and then dad had a workshop. That was his job. He had like a car repair workshop. And we used. To, I used to sell cans of Coke. Um, at his workshop <laughs> to, to his two, he only had two workers <laughs> and I would sell cans of Coke to them. And then we would also, cause it was right near the Gabba, the sporting ground in Brisbane. 
and we would sell his car spaces before games. <laughs> uh, and that was like when we were sort of in high school and we'd before like a party or something, we'd be going out, we'd just go and get like a quick hundred bucks from selling dad's car spaces. That's such a hustle. <laughs> I know. I know. And these people were just like, so you guys going to be here all night? <laughs> and we just were like, yeah, we'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just leave. <laughs> yeah. And you were a showbag salesman at some point as well. I did. <laughs> yeah. I sold um, showbags at the Eka. I've had so many different jobs. I've even, mo- I-, I lived in Japan for a bit and it was a ski resort. Um, so in the winter I had work, but in the summer I didn't because I didn't speak the language or anything. I didn't have any work. But some of the jobs that I could get were just like manual labour sort of jobs. So I used to mow lawns in the summer there and it would be the toughest job. It was so hard. I'd be mowing lawns all day (laughs) for like not a lot of money. Did you ever think when you're doing all these kind of strange tasks, because I know it's a thought that I often had, I'm like, Mm. this is a weird scenario. This is going to be great for my stand-up one day. Like this is definitely going to be in my routine. Do you ever think about those things? Uh, I do now, but back then, like I didn't do stand-up. I wish I'd done stand-up because I I need to like mine some of the stuff that I've done. Like, like even like just mowing lawns or like imagine yeah imagine if I was doing stand up there back then I don't know for me stand up though is so like current I have to be talking about stuff that's going on in my life but um, yeah there's probably heaps of stuff that I could mine from back in the day does your mum like being included in your sets no <laughs> No, <laughs> no. she wants to be left out, which is fair enough. That's totally, like, I totally get that. Um, we went and saw a show in Melbourne um, by Chris Ryan, who's a Canberra comedian, and the show is kind of about her, her mum. And my mum and I went and saw it together. And I was like, oh, mum, like, what if I did that about you? <laughs> And she was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll leave your mum out of it yeah. for now. Let's instead play a song for your old man. You've chosen a song by Dean Martin. Mm. Why does your dad like this one? Oh, he's such a Dean Martin fan. Like, you know, when people say, oh, like their parents have all these, like they liked the Rolling Stones and stuff like that, or like the Beatles, like my mum loved the Beatles. I'm like, oh my gosh, my dad is way too old for that. Like he liked Dean Martin <laughs> and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> like, But he would often, we'd find him, like we'd come home um, from being out and we'd just find dad like singing in the lounge room to Dean Martin all the time. <laughs> But, yeah, this is a song that he sings quite a bit and it just reminds me of him. Mm. Let's try and imagine your dad's voice over the top of the vocals. (laughs) It's Dean Martin and Mambo Italiano on FBI Radio 94.5. Hey, Mambo, Mambo Italiano. Hey, hey, Mambo, Mambo Italiano. Go, go, go. You mixed up a Siciliano. All you calabrese do the mambo like a crazy with it. Hey, Mambo. Don't wanna taratala, hey, hey, mambo No more mozzarella, hey, mambo 
mambo italiano Try an angelada with the fish bacala And then Edumba I love how you dance the rumba You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB Or if you're streaming online That was Mambo Italiano A track chosen by my guest on Out of the Box Comedian Lizzie Hu Lizzie, we've talked about your approach to comedy and how your sets are kind of a vehicle to talk about some of the personal stories from your life. You have other vehicles to tell those stories as well. Tell me about your writing. Oh, yeah. So before comedy, I was doing, like I worked in editorial, basically. And I'd, at university, I studied advertising. So um, I think I was trying to become a copywriter at one point, but never actually did and ended up in editorial. Um, so yeah, I learned how to write basically. And yeah, I've written like quite a few articles. I mean, lots of them are in magazines in a box. Like (laughs) magazines don't really exist anymore, but, um, yeah, I've, I've, that's something that I sort of rediscovered when I started comedy again I was like I'm gonna get back into writing articles and stuff like that so I find it like really I don't know if you've got something on your mind you just write it and then it goes away (laughs) do you think the honesty you're able to give your stories changes between comedy and writing um there's different sometimes I write things for comedy and I'm like oh that's more of an article like that's probably not a joke or maybe there's a bit of a joke in there, but maybe you need to like, maybe you need like a thousand words to explain that rather than just like a set up punch. You know what I mean? So yeah, it is, a, it is a bit hard that way. I'd say. That's interesting. Mm. Do you ever, do you ever get halfway through maybe writing an article and you're like, this is actually kind of funny. Yeah. Like, oh, there's, I might use yeah, this. there's certain, Lines like I did an article recently, actually, which was uh, a like sort of on a similar topic, which I touch in my stand up show. Um, sort of like I, in my current stand up show, I have this bit about like what I would do if like a racist came up to me, like a hypothetical, which sort of <laughs> yeah. It's funny, <laughs> trust me. Um, but in the article, it sort of explores that like where that came from more so yeah you get way way more words and you you don't have to be funny the pressure of not being funny is actually quite liberating (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I I hadn't thought about that before like you don't have to worry about people Mm. not laughing at your article you kind of hope people don't laugh at your article it would be yeah the opposite approach it's nice to have like sort of funny phrases and things in articles yeah um Yeah, I guess that's not the purpose. One of the things you do talk about in your writing is your health. Mm. Tell me about that. Oh, so I did a piece on um, uh, having a fibroid. I don't know, like fibroids, uh, lots of women have them. They're not really like a lot of women's health issues. We don't know about them. (laughs) It just seems to be a thing that um, isn't really out there but uh, yeah I ended up having a fibroid kind of when I started comedy actually um so I what what it is it's a big sort of non-cancerous growth uh or tumor that grows on your uterus 
and lots of women have them. Um, and whether or not they grow or whether or not they affect your life is depends on the person. Um, but mine started to, like, I really sort of felt the effects of it. And I was getting, like, yeah, just health issues, like, bad moods, bad periods, that sort of thing. Anyway, I got it all scanned and they were like, oh, it's huge. It was like 10 centimetres, which is like quite big. <laughs> so they had to take it out, but um, it was quite a full-on operation to get it out. And then I had to like, I had to take off like two months off work. Um, I had to like, and I thought when they say, oh, yeah, there's like a six-week recovery, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine after six weeks. But it's like, oh, you'll be able to, kind of walk after six weeks and then it wasn't until like six months later that I actually felt I was like oh okay I feel a bit normal again but um yeah it's something that I feel like that with women's health lots of there's so many things like endometriosis for example that we haven't really started talking about until like the last five years or so and now yeah I feel like people are sort of listening and you know thinking about how it affects like we're just told to sort of get on with it and deal with the pain you were talking before about um Ali Wong and how her comedy is relatable because she does talk about women's issues mm. and, and things that face women do you think that that's something that we might see in your comedy in the future I did have a bit about the fibro the fibroid um <laughs> in my in my first show I had this bit about um being in hospital which I f- is so funny like when I was in hospital it was just the f- it's just the craziest place it, I don't know like how doctors and nurses it's just this wild world in there <laughs> it's bizarre but I remember being because I was in this ward with um the women around me were quite, they were older. They were like mum's age, you know, they were, but they were all just looking at me going like, oh, she's so young. Like I was going to die or something like, she's so young. And then they'd like, (laughs) yeah, it was just, they'd always like, this lady across from me, she'd just always get up on purpose and go to the toilet. And they're like, don't go to the bathroom, don't go. And she'd just always get up, I think, to fall down like it was just and then there was another lady opposite me that would just be yelling out like help 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 constantly and I'm like this is the craziest place (laughs) and of course you're like high on all these like hardcore painkillers and you just look look around like what where am I (laughs) yeah so there I have I have put that in the comedy before Oh, absolutely. I think if if you've already started stand-up and you're in that, like, I'm looking for jokes mindset and this crazy stuff is happening around you. Oh, it was really wild. (laughs) Hey, I want to jump into a song by Daddy Yankee. Tell me about this song. (laughs) This song is, like, I don't know. I just have good memories. So when I was, um, like, early 20s, this would be, like, 2000 and... Oh, six-ish. Um, I travelled to Central America and I was with my friend. And, of course, there's, like, so many parties along the way. But this was the song at the time. And any country we went to in Central America was playing this song. Any bar, 
any nightclub anywhere. This was the this was the anthem of the time. Let's jump into it right now on FBI Radio ninety four point five. Right now, we are live on FBI Radio 94.5 or streaming on the podcast. This show is out of the box. We're taking a deep dive into the life of comedian Lizzie Hu and the records that have soundtracked it. Lizzie has shows coming up at the Factory Theatre Friday, Saturday and Sunday, which she's touched on briefly over the last hour. Lizzie, what do you reckon you can give us a little taste of what we might catch in the show? Uh, like I was saying before, how we're talking about how as a hustler, as a kid, I do talk about um, how, like, I was obsessed with money. I was obsessed with money growing up. I'm still a little bit obsessed, I think, but, like, when I was a kid, like, <laughs> all I wanted to do was, like, make money and count my coins. Um, and I talk about, I tell this story about how my brother... Um, like I'd lost all my baby teeth, which is like my main source of income. And then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, and then I, Sorry. <laughs> and I, but then my, um, my brother, he taught me the concept of interest when I was quite young. And so I was just scamming people the whole time. Like <laughs> I talk about how I was like scamming my brother and he'd want to, cause I had so many coins and he needed coins to, um, get on the bus to go to his job in the morning and I'd be like, I'd be really protected of, of my coins. I'd be like, no, you can't have my coins unless you give me like double the coins when you get home. <laughs> you know? like, and I just used to fleece him out of so much cash. Um, and then I told my mom, no, I told my friend about it and she told her mom and then her mom told my mom and then my mom was like, you can't do that to your brother. <laughs> Again, the youngest child, Lizzie, I know. is shining through. <laughs> so if you want to catch more of that, Lizzie will be playing at the Factory Theatre on April the 30th, uh, May the 1st and May the 2nd. Those shows are $29 each. So, Lizzie, you can hold on to so many coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else on the horizon that we can we can find you at? Um, yeah, not not really. I I can't think of anything that's coming up. Like I've been so focused on festival mode. I'm like Melbourne, Sydney. Uh, I mean, I'm gigging in Sydney all the time. So I usually put my gigs up on my Instagram page. And there's so much. Because you are a Sydney cider now. I am a Sydney cider. So, and honestly, like Sydney has so much comedy. Like I know the festival's coming up and it's great and there's heaps of comedy, but all year round there's comedy happening so you can catch the same people doing their club sets, you know, every week. And I think it, going out for comedy is just such a fun night for everyone. I'll pop a link to your upcoming Factory Theatre shows on the programs page at fbiradio.com and a link to your Instagram so we can track when the hottest new Lizzie Who shows are coming out. Lizzie Who, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much. 
beneath us right now, I've got a track by Radiohead playing. Why did you choose this song? Uh, I was so obsessed with Radiohead. I still think they're my favourite band, I'd say. Um, I've seen them a few times. Um, It's just one of those, uh, I don't know, every time I put on an album of theirs, I think, I just get a bit transported back and get into this bit of like melancholy, teenage, angsty mood. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think they're just like, yeah, the greatest. (laughs) 